Welcome to Wednesday. Gordon Smart here, and it's time for this week's A Life Less Ordinary, an hour of radio dedicated to someone with an interesting story to tell. My guest tonight became a household name after appearing on The Apprentice back in 2015. The show is now back on our screens for its 18th series. He not only appeared on it, but he became the first tradesperson to win the iconic and elusive You're Gonna Be My Business Partner from the boss, Lord Sugar. Now, if you're on social media, there's no doubt you'll have caught this man because he has got quite an impressive array of sharp suits, very fast cars, all the bling. He is very much an apprentice candidate. He's very much an apprentice winner. He is the one and only Joseph Valenti, and he's my guest tonight. Good evening, Joseph. Hi, Gordon. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, and I'm, I'm so chuffed that you've managed to make it on tonight, Joseph, because it feels like you are an incredibly, incredibly busy man. I mean, do you get much time to yourself at the moment? Uh, not really. I'm a 12 to 16 hour a day workaholic. <laughs> See, jo- Listen, I've listened. I paid quite a lot of attention to this. Does that not mean you're getting it wrong? <laughs> Well, I think the thing is, I don't see work as work. I've just tuned into the fact that I'm building a legacy. And so that's my mission. So I try to, rather than have a work-life balance, I've just made this my mission, if that makes sense. But Joseph, do you not need some really important and valuable time with loved ones and friends and walking a dog and doing nothing, just lying around scratching about in your pants sometimes? Uh, It was funny because I was talking to um, one of the ladies setting me up for the show and we were saying about my backstory and I said to her that I had ADHD and actually that is a superpower for me but it means that you can never switch off and that you Mm. need to keep yourself busy at all times so I don't like to switch off. Um, because I want to always be in tune with what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. Does that not worry you, Joseph, that you're going to burn out a wee bit, though? Because that is sustainable while you're a young, healthy guy, but at some point there's a price to pay, is there not, for that level of commitment and, and effort? There's a great guy in America, his name's Grant Cardone, and um, he says, my whole life everybody was saying to me that I was going to burn out, and I just used to say back to them, listen, I'm not a candle. <laughs> and I just think people burn out when they're uninspired I think if you're inspired and you've got a mission and a purpose and um, you enjoy what you're doing then you know why would you want to stop and do you feel like you've you've found that because I get the sense that you've got a lot of interest but is is there one key focus in your life that's driving you on at the moment yeah I think um, for me it's about leveling up I always want to be better than I was yesterday I'm trying to reinvent myself at every stage of my life and so you know I don't have um, uh, one clear purpose but what I do have is the ambition every day to be better and so that's what I'm chasing. I'm chasing the next version of me, if that makes sense. That's interesting, yeah, because I would argue that the version of you that's been incredibly successful so far might be worth sticking with. Does that, <laughs> does, does that ever cross your mind? Actually, I've done pretty well. Let's focus on this guy for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um But I suppose it's those characteristics that got you to where you've got to that you never want to lose. One of my missions in life, and um, you know, a lot of people question me when I say this, but I really want to become a, I say I really want to, I am going to become a billionaire in my lifetime. And it's not about the money, but it's about the achievement and all of the people that I'm going to be able to help. Because of when you've created wealth at that scale, you're going to be able to give back and help a lot of people. But again, referencing another mentor they say the difference between a billionaire and a millionaire is a billionaire never stopped acting the way that got them to become a millionaire and what happens in life people achieve a certain amount of success and then they stop 
they change their character rather than being that risk taker, that entrepreneur, they become that protector. And so they change their approach. And for me, you know, that's something that we should all be quite conscious of because, you know, if you lose the characteristics that got you the success and you start to change up your style to try and preserve it, in actual fact, you're probably doing more to harm future success than benefiting it. Does that make sense? I know where you're coming from, Joseph. Yeah, and I'd probably challenge you on it because I'm a little bit older than you now, right? I'm 43 and I can see the entire motivation in having a target like that, you know, setting yourself a huge, huge target to become a billionaire. But actually... Most people don't understand, I think, how many zeros are in a billion, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, having a lot of money, and the difference between millions and billions, it's, it's big, right? That's a Absolutely. huge, huge leap. You can do an awful lot of brilliant stuff and a lot of good with fewer zeros, I'd imagine, no? It's a thousand million. Mm-hmm. Again, I do think you can, but the more money that you've got, the more people that you can help. And, you know, um, there's, I mean, a millionaire is still a massive achievement. You know, it's a huge amount of money. So, um, you know, you can do incredible things with it, but you can also yeah. do incredible things um, with a billion. And again, it's just for me, I've got to have something to chase. You know, I need to chase something that's almost the impossible to achieve. And I suppose that for me is the thing that is going to be, you know, hard to get. So it keeps me up, gets me up every day. It keeps me excited. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll see. We'll see, won't we, in a few years whether I pull it off or not. Well, listen, you know, you've set yourself the target and you've done well so far, haven't you? You've had an incredible life, you know, ups and downs. And you have to have a bit of failure to understand the successes. But I'm interested to know what your your explanation or your understanding of success is because there is a difference isn't there between value and a monetary value yeah Um, and and actually having really important relationships in life especially when i read back in your history and look at the relationship you had with your mum that seems more worthy to me than any financial sum yeah i mean for for me success is results based so you can be a success once but to keep being successful, you need to continue to keep achieving. And so um, that's why I have these goals and that's why I'm constantly chasing the next thing because I think that's what success for me is all about. It's about beating the person that you were yesterday. And, you know, doing the things that I have done and committing to the amount of work that I've put into my life and career has come with many, many sacrifices. Health, relationships, social life, seeing family, um, and so on and so forth. And it's not for everybody. You know, an entrepreneurship and um, building businesses is not for the faint-hearted. I think people think that it's going to be an easy ride. And if you're looking for balance, you know, achieving great things in business doesn't come with balance. It comes with massive sacrifice. And I think that, you know, me being able to provide financially for my mum is way better than me being able to, you know, spend lots and lots of time with my mum. Because I I suppose I'm quite an isolated individual. I I like to be by myself. I left home when I was 17. And I've always been, you know, I've, I've always had my own back. And um, so, 
that's my contribution. And again, I see my I see my value that I add to my people, my close people, is I can take care of them financially. But I might not be the best shoulder to cry on, or you know, I might not be the best advisor. But if they ever get into trouble, I can protect them in that way. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. But that that's also a philosophy that involves picking people up when they fall down and maybe not looking more at prevention. And I think, Joseph, that you know, you because of the upbringing you had and because of the life you've had. I think you can provide real value there. And actually, is your mum still with you? Is she still alive? Yeah, my mum's still alive. Yeah. See, do you think you would say the same thing you've just said to me if she wasn't alive? Or would you want to use all the pounds, shillings and pence that you had to bring her back for one last chance to sit down and talk to her about life? Yeah, I think I think so. And I genu- and I definitely think that we take time for granted. Yeah. Um, we definitely do. And, you know, you always think you're going to have another day, another week, another year, another birthday, another Christmas. Christmas, another visit and in actual fact like you said you know that's the time with the family is definitely more important but Mm -hmm. you know um I'm learning I'm trying to still work it out as I'm going and I'm trying to you know figure this whole life thing out right now and that's a great thing Joseph you know because you will you know better than anybody with the experience you've been through particularly in the last 10 years that you can take feedback on board and you can ignore it as much as you like yeah but you know i'd love to get a hold of you and give you a shake and say joseph there's some stuff in life that you really want to pay attention to <laughs> because it's so so valuable and it'll make you a better businessman it might get you to that billion figure quicker than you'd imagine maybe I respect that, and, I, and I'm always open um, to listen to everybody's opinions and advice, for sure. I want to start right at the beginning, and we'll do that in a second, because we are about to go into that 18th series of the apprentices is on the telly again now and i was just thinking with a little bit of hindsight almost 10 years on isn't it from when you were on the show good afternoon my name's joey and i'm the definition of success I imagine myself being a billionaire because if Richard Branson can do it, Donald Trump can do it, if the guy from Facebook can do it, I can do it. They've got nothing special about them that I don't possess. Everybody's human beings. It's just the choices that they've made and the ways they've gone in business. And I think I'm on the right path and doing the right things to follow in their footsteps. I work 16 to 20 hours every single day. I make a lot of money in a very short space of time. I'll diversify to any situation, any problem that comes along, I'll be able to solve it and I will beat anybody that comes in front of me. My motto is, remember the words, one day you will die and let that strike fear from your mind and empower you to achieve all that you can be. Why don't you, one last time, Joseph, tell me why you think you should be my business partner? So, Lloyd Trigger, I once read a book that changed my life. The title of that book was What You See Is What You Get. I'm now sat in front of the author of that book, and what I'm saying to you is what you see is what you get. I've got 10 years experience in this industry. I'm driven, passionate, hard-working. Through these last 12 weeks, I've jumped through hoops to try and prove to you time and time again that I can adapt and change. I do need investment, I do need mentoring, but with that combination, I will make a million pound within five years. There's no doubt about that. And I hope you can see me as a person and I hope you buy into me. 
Technology has been my best friend for over 50 years, but maybe it's time to make new friends. Joseph, you are going to be my business partner. How do you look back on it now then? Is it an experience that you value or would you do things differently if you had your time again? The most incredible experience. I'm forever grateful for having um, that opportunity. You know, just going away and spending three months out of your life where you just disappear and go off radar and they take your phone and you don't get to speak to family and friends and connect with people and you're in this isolated bubble, this, you know, alternate reality of just doing tasks and driving around London and, you know, constantly day after day, something new happening. It was so special, you know, and I, I was very blessed. We got a great group of candidates on our year and the boys team specifically. I mean, I made some great friends and I'm still friends with them now on the show. And we talk um, frequently in the WhatsApp group and so on and so forth. So, you know, I, I just think it was an amazing, amazing time. And I would love to try and somehow um, create that experience again in the future. I don't know how I would. But if I was going to do anything differently, it wouldn't be what I did on the show. It would be how I acted after, um, for sure. You know, I, um, I would say that I let the wind go to my head. You know, all of a sudden I started to um, believe my own hype and I thought that everything I touched turned to gold. And I almost went on this mission. It was like, it was such a strange feeling. It was like a bittersweet feeling. It was like the ultimate high. It was like winning a Premier League or a, you know, a, a, a world title belt in business. That's what, that was my arena to perform at the highest levels. And after I won, you come crashing back down to reality. Like the hype is there and then you have to go back to, you know, running a plumbing business. And I wanted to be this 25-year-old. I went on to not be a celebrity. I went on to be a business person. And that 15 minutes of fame and the attention that I got from it, I can't say that I didn't love it. I absolutely loved every second of it. And it was hard to come back down to kind of just that day-to-day -day reality of just running a business. And I suppose I went on this journey of chasing that buzz again. And so I wrote a, a best-selling autobiography. I launched a podcast that went to number one in the world. I was applying for every award I could win. I got into Forbes 30 under 30 out of 18,000 candidates in Europe. And I just went to hunt, you know, that next feeling um, to, try and, to try and capture it again. But as I think you mentioned earlier, you know, I was the first apprentice to buy Lord Sugar out at the age of 27, just two years after winning the show. And I was so headstrong and I wouldn't listen and I knew what I wanted. And, you know, that probably clouded some of my business judgment. And I wanted to scale and I wanted to grow fast. And I cut that relationship short because um, it stopped adding the value that I was looking for. But I think that may not have been my smartest move. Having Lord Sugar as a, um, a friend, as a connection, you know, as a support, um, uh, now would be incredible rather than kind of have cut those ties and, and lost that relationship. So I think in hindsight, the thing that I would change is I would have listened to him probably more and I would have played the whole game much more strategically. 
It's really interesting, Joseph, hearing you talk about all those amazing achievements under 30, you know, Forbes 30 under 30, like you say, being a CEO, an entrepreneur, having a best-selling book and a podcast. But, you know, I don't want to burst your bubble, but the business, the main reason you were there, the thing that was your DNA, it didn't work out, did it? The business failed. And that must have hurt when you were in the middle of all that other success, you know, for it not to work out the way you'd envisaged. It was brutal. I mean, I started in business at 22 years of age and I'd just been come back from a trip in Australia. I traveled Australia for nearly a year and I came back to the same life that I was trying to escape back as a gas engineer, back as an employee. And that Christmas, my mum got me Lord Sugar's autobiography. It was called What You See Is What You Get. And I hadn't read a book for many, many years. I was expelled from school when I was 14 and a half. Education was not my um, strong point. I didn't value it whatsoever. And I read this book cover to cover over that two-week break over Christmas. And after the first couple of pages, I was hooked. And it changed. The only way I can describe it was the book changed my DNA. It changed my vibration. It changed my thinking. And I'd made all these excuses as to why I wasn't able to be successful or create wealth or, you know, have all of the nice things that life had to offer. And I blamed it on not coming from the right town, the right family, the right going to the right schools. And then I saw in this book that Lord Sugar had created billionaire wealth and had come from a council estate and it was almost like the permission that I needed that it was possible for me too because I looked at his story and I said he hasn't got anything that I don't have so if he can do it then I can do it too. Um, fast forward 24 hours I went online I took out a 15,000 pound uh, loan I called my boss and I said, look, I'm not coming back after Christmas. I'm really sorry, but I'm starting my company. And um, that's where Impragas was born. So at 22 years of age, I'd started this one-man band plumbing business. I grew the business incredibly quickly. I used every pound that we had to get to national level. But when I got there, in hindsight... I didn't know what I didn't know and I didn't have the right advisors at that stage either and I didn't know that I needed a lot of money to stay there. It's all right getting there but you've also got to stay there as well and when you're at that level you also need a war chest in case things go wrong and um, when the market started to change because that's where really the business started to deteriorate was Brexit, warmer winters and we were a direct sales beast so if there were no leads coming in for us national sales team to go out and quote these boilers it meant there was no revenue coming in either and um, in November 2019 I knew the business was in trouble and uh, basically within two months I had to try and rescue a deal to keep the company and I had to sell the company and shut part of the company down so it was a real sad ending to you know 10 years of my life committed to building that company but from the greatest challenges come come um, some of the greatest opportunities and that's where I went on to do what I'm doing now. How did it feel for you when Lord Sugar sort of rubbed your face in it a wee bit didn't he because you'd parted company and the business failed and then he was on social media wasn't he kind of not gloating but he, he definitely offered his his view of what had happened. So um when when it became apparent that the business struggled financially and that I sold part of it and shut part of it down, the press didn't really print the full story. They used the headline, which was, you know, apprentice winner's plumbing firm goes bust. And technically, we sold it and, you know, we shut part of it down. But, you know, they used the headline regardless. 
And that did hurt big time. Mm. I mean, my pride um, was, you know, had taken an absolute pasting. And I remember seeing those articles and going on social media and people were writing stuff about me and calling me a failure. It was really, really difficult. And for two weeks, I just couldn't face turning on my phone. I couldn't get out of bed. I was in severe depression. And I just couldn't understand how, you know, why this had happened to me. I was genuine. I'd, I'd worked very, very hard. I'd done nothing unethical or illegal. And um, I was really feeling sorry for myself. And uh, I went onto Twitter because somebody notified me and Lord Sugar retweeted this article saying plumbing firm weren't bust, saying you can't win them all. And in actual fact, he did me the greatest favour because as soon as I saw that, the fire ignited inside <laughs> me and I said, right, that's it. I jumped out of bed and I said, I'm going to come back bigger, stronger than ever and I'm never, ever going to be made a fool of like like this again and um so you know lord sugar if you're listening i just want to say a big massive thank you to you because even though it hurt looking back now it was the fire that i needed to to, to snap out of feeling sorry for myself yeah. but joseph if you wind the clock back and we listen to the way you were talking about the first few pages of the autobiography that inspired you in the first place do you in any way regret falling out with lord sugar because perhaps there was a chance to persevere with that relationship and maybe suck it up a little bit and and get through a bumpy period yeah i think i think i um i never really fell out with him per se but i think the um you know ending the relationship early again was an oversight on my part maybe i should have kept my mouth shut and maybe i should have listened but again i was that mid 20 year old guy you know that had bought his own hype and i had an ego and i didn't really have like i didn't have a dad there or anybody to just say joe come on just check yourself and you know you, you you're being an idiot or whatever so there was no one to ground me and um so i think i probably you know shouldn't have ended the relationship earlier but it is what it is. I think you either win or you learn, right? And is it that, that competition with him? Is that another motivating factor? Because I know you've got aspirations to kind of follow in his footsteps with a form of an entertainment format to rival The Apprentice. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's the young lion and there's the old lion. <laughs> and the young lion's always trying to, you know, attack the alpha. And um, that's the game. And, you know, I'm sure if I make it to his position or do his show um, or my own show at some point, there'll be somebody looking to come and take, um, take the number one spot from me that's the circle of life isn't it so um you know taking the taking the spot of i i really am a hundred percent decided that i want to have my own business tv show i'm running a show on youtube at the minute called unfinished business and it documents my life week in week out it's a weekly show and we're basically documenting the comeback and that's had some incredible feedback and people are really enjoying the behind the scenes and it's given me that flavor that taste um for you know wanting to do something in business you've got dragons there then you've got The Apprentice. Apprentice is just losing its credibility now. It's really, really sad to see. Do People think? don't take it seriously anymore. Um, Dragon's Den, because it's really pitching business and it's talking about their business, it's a bit more serious, but it's a bit niche. Apprentice is broad, but I, I just think that the credibility is disappearing. And mm. I think, you know, there are many people. Now, I used to watch The Apprentice as a young guy because I was a aspiring entrepreneur. 
and I wanted to be in business. And, you know, there's not enough um, business TV shows out there showcasing to people what's possible. And I'd love to try to take up, take take a place somewhere on, you know, the roster and have my own um, uh, show. It's interesting looking back because I think you were the first season, the first series where you went from the £100,000 salary and working for Lord Sugar to getting a quarter of a million pound investment in the business and then having access to that, that wider network of, of people in business to support you. So, you know, again, looking back on that, would you have rather uh, being an employee or do you think that was the right business model for oh, you? Oh, definitely the right business model. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely the right business model. And I had a business at the time. So Impra, Lord, usually um, he was giving them 250 grand and they were starting a new company from scratch. He actually bought half of my existing company for the 250 grand. Um, when you look back, Joseph, at that, that series you were in, I'd imagine there are moments there that make you want to jump behind the sofa and cringe with embarrassment. But again, at the same time, that's all part of building you, isn't it? Um, what were the moments for you that, that stand out from your time on The Apprentice? Um, one of my favourite moments was when we did the construction task. It was the first time they'd ever done it. It was like a handyman task. And although my team didn't win, I wasn't project manager. I kind of took over as project manager. And... Uh, um, I'd done so well that he gave me immunity from being fired and he'd never done that on any series before. So, And I don't think he's ever done it since. So um, that was a pretty cool, um, special moment for me. Um, I lost as project manager. I won as project manager in episode three where we did the negotiation task where you have to go and find all the items. That was always my favourite task anyway as a viewer. So I'm pleased that I led the team to win that one. But I actually lost as um, project manager in episode nine i really called it wrong and um he gave me an absolute beating for that one and uh, that was that was good um i actually i actually enjoyed and um, believe it or not being on the losing team and the reason for that is because what i clocked every time you're on the winning team you don't really get to talk to him that much and you don't really get to say anything because you know the most of the time on the boardroom is spent with the losers isn't it you know understanding what went wrong and so on and so forth so in actual fact i quite liked being on the losing team because i got to spend more time talking to him and kind of trying to build some form of you know relationship or showcase uh, my credibility in whatever way shape or form um, it was Tell me a little bit about the Joseph Valenti Academy because, again, you know, as a slightly older gentleman, I look at that and think, oh, he's 34 years old. He's offering training and coaching for the next generation, even at 34. Do you feel like you've got enough experience under your belt to, to be in a position to do that thoroughly? I mean, business-wise, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've um, trade mastermind my core business, and we teach tr construction businesses how to become, how to scale up, how help tradesmen go to businessmen, and we've got you know thousands of customers and i'm 34 years of age but i've got clients that are 55 60 45 30 in their 20s and they're all business owners and some of them have been in business 5 10 15 20 years but you know being great at business is about learning about business and the reason i started trade mastermind was because i look back on my journey with impro and i said how on earth did you go from that 22 year old plumber as a one man in a van to this ceo of a 
eight-figure business and, you know, um, 100 people in just seven years. I'd learned a massive amount along the way, but I'd also made a lot of mistakes. And the core concept of Trade Mastermind was to teach businesses how to replicate the success, but also how to avoid the failure. So I have a huge wealth of business knowledge, and we're expanding into the Valente business uh, academy now and we're going to move from just the construction sector and start training all businesses and good luck with that joseph you thank know, you it's a bold ambition and admire you for it because i'm an interesting stage of life right i've got a 14 year old son who's trying to make decisions about his future which seems incredibly young to me but i wondered what you thought of the culture in this country about taking a trade on and learning a trade because for you know having gone through university and worked hard and worked at agencies and get up and down the country trying my best to graft really hard I do often wonder if I should have really just taken a trade and been really passionate about it when I was 16, 17, 18. And, you know, you're you're in a great position to talk about this because you have been the guy who's on the tools. You've been the guy that runs the business and you're now the guy who helps those businesses grow. So from your point of view, where do you think we are in this country when it, it comes to taking on a trade? I mean, if I go back to when I was kind of 14, 15 and got into construction, at the time, it was almost like that people that went into a trade weren't smart enough to go to university. And I think it kind of had that negative stigma attached to it. And I never really understood why. And, you know, trades are an incredible way for youngsters to be able to get into a skill for life in a lot of cases, you know, apprenticeships are incredible because you get paid immediately and you learn on the job you don't have to get into debt very quickly you can qualify and start earning the big bucks and it creates a platform for you to be able to you know go in any direction that you like you can be an entrepreneur and work in a business or you can be a small sole trader or one man band that's in charge of their own future or you can have the um, option to scale up and grow a great construction business but I do believe that you know the construction sector is going to generate the next wave of millionaires like being a tradesperson is is a serious serious career with a huge um return and the problem that we've got is a huge skill shortage i don't know what the message is like in schools now and i really do hope they are preaching um to these youngsters that uni is not the be all and end all for everybody you go to uni to acquire a certain set of skills in a certain career path but you know actually trade and construction offers a lot of lucrative um, uh, prospects for those young guys out there. Joseph, looking at your uh, Instagram, and it's a terrible thing for me to do, do you ever get on the tools? every now and again just to remind yourself of what the job's really like <laughs> I mean I was on the tools at 14 and a half I went to work straight away when I got expelled from school and I got off the tools at 24 two years after starting my business that was my and that was my main mission my knees were already going it was quite rough on the body um, and I haven't picked up a tool um, for quite some time and I do miss it because I was very passionate about it at the time and I really really enjoyed it but the tools aren't for me anymore i much prefer um wearing a suit to work rather than dirty overalls joseph what about in real life you know who brings you back down to earth because it is important you've had that right that 10 years of your life where you turn up with other lads and other girls that are on the tools and working and you know every now and again they bring you back down to earth i'd imagine you got a really rough ride of it when you finished the apprentice uh, and you were back in amongst the lads that were out going to work for you so you know do you think it's important do you think it's necessary to keep you grounded to have a little bit of that i'm going to call it stick necessary (laughs) stick yeah i mean blimey i get a lot of stick out there in the market right now 
I mean, we run ads on Facebook to fill out our training events. And, you know, there are a certain part of the construction sector that just really, really um, hate what I'm about and can't stand my message and don't like me at all. And they um, don't hold back in the comments, that's for sure. But, you know, I've had that ever since The Apprentice. You get a lot of lovers and you get a lot of haters. But that's what happens when you put yourself out there. And, um, you know, construction... Is a, is a great sector. And I remember coming back from The Apprentice. It was so strange. It really, really was. Like people that I'd known for years and years and years just looked at me differently. I hadn't changed. And I don't, I, I have leveled up and I have grown, but I'm still Joseph. I'm still the Joseph I always was. But you look on my Instagram, you might have a, a an opinion on me straight away. You know, you look on my social media, you might have an, an opinion on me. But that doesn't mean that you um, know me and you understand me and, you know, you know what I'm all about. And so, we can judge people quite quickly but it was strange when I came back you know friends that I'd known for years all of a sudden started to not want to talk to me or you know they thought that I thought I was better than everybody else or you know it was a really really strange time it was quite sad actually I did lose quite a lot of people a lot of people just didn't want to talk to me anymore because they thought ah he's this guy now he thinks he's this he thinks he's that it was it was quite difficult but you know in life as you move forward as you grow as you get older you lose some people and you collect some new people and you know I'm always looking to make new friends make new connections and you know as you continue to grow things will change. Well, Joseph, a wise man once said to me, you know, if you break down in your car at three o'clock in the morning on the side of a motorway and it's chucking down the rain, if you've got five people in your phone that you can ring that will come out and help you and assist you and see you to safety, then you've been successful in life. Yeah. Do you have the five people? And if so, who are they? Man, five's a big number. <laughs> I reckon I've got two people. Other than the yeah. AA, I've got two people. And who are they? And who are they? Um, one's my business partner, Chris. Yeah. Uh, actually, I would say I've got three people. One's my business partner, Chris. He's solid. We've been friends for 10 plus years and we've been through a lot together. Uh, my best friend, Marcus. Um, we've known each other since we were 14 and um, uh, one of my other great friends Tony um, these guys would do anything that I needed and you know they've been my friends through thick and thin so they're solid solid guys well let me ask that question in a different way then how many people have you Joseph Valenti as one of the people in their phone that would come and rescue them at three o'clock in the morning yeah um, a lot of people actually I would say a good 30 a good 30 people that i would you know i've got currently about 35 employees i would hope that any of them would call me if they got into trouble um friends family um i'm always there in actual fact that's one of my main contributions is i love to help people and helping people is one of the most selfish things you can do i i personally believe because that feeling that you get from adding value to others for changing other people's lives is is so incredible and um yeah that's my value add because i think that's important joseph you know if anybody was listening to this interview they hear a, a formidable businessman a guy who's very determined and driven and knows where he's going in life but it's the, the, the real guy underneath the suit, the guy behind the cars that you see on Instagram, that's the one that I think we all really want to understand. And you, you do have a, a young son, don't you? Um, and I just wondered how much of a motivation it was to be a meaningful father and be a big part of his life growing up. 
Yeah, oh, it's so important to me. I mean, my dad left when I was 13 and my dad was an alcoholic. He, he didn't work and my household was stressful growing up. It was constant chaos. Where was it, um, Joseph? Where was this? Uh, where, where did I grow up? Yeah. Uh, in Peterborough. Okay. And, um, you know, I used to see my dad every day, you know, drunk and um, arguing and causing problems in our house. And I just I just used to despise the way that he acted and he never worked. And my mum worked three jobs and it to keep our family going. And it was constant struggle. And I just couldn't understand why this man that was fully capable um, couldn't step up and why he wasn't helping the situation. In actual fact, he was making it a thousand times worse. And when he left... I was actually really happy about it. And I look back now as a 34-year-old man and realise how sad that is. My dad passed away last year. I only saw him once um, when he showed up looking for money um, when I was 27 years of age from me and I helped him out. And But he'd never changed and he was still the same old guy and he just got a lot worse. And, you know, it broke my heart not having a relationship with my father. When my dad left, I went off the rails and, um, you know, I had to become a man by myself. Mm -hmm. And although that's great and, you know, it really did help me um, because it made me very independent, I never, ever want to repeat that relationship with my son. Like, having a good relationship with Joseph is... The, Joseph Jr., his name's Joseph Jr., um, is the most important thing to me and being there for him. It's not just about providing him with all of the things that I never had, but it's teaching him all the things that I never knew, you know, and I just want to make sure that he's my best friend and, you know, I just want to provide for him. So when I had him, it was just the greatest motivation. I was a little bit lost in my life, actually, when mm -hmm. um, I had him. Uh, one of the main reasons I started my first business was to put my mum into retirement and it was the main driver and I did that when I I was 27 and paid a mortgage and then after I after that happened I kind of lost my way for a little bit so when Joseph came along he gave me purpose again and I'll be forever grateful it's funny you know um, I don't think sometimes our kids realize or you know they realize how much for some of us they've actually saved us yeah. and um, you know he really saved me and has given me a great purpose again and I'll be sure to tell him that when he's old enough to understand yeah, you're, you're open enough to talk about it as well you know you did struggle with depression didn't you Joseph and I think again as part of the story the bigger picture of what you're doing in your life I think it's important you, you explain how, how that happened and how you managed to put yourself out of it yeah yeah I mean you know depression is a funny thing and um it's hard and you know you've gotta you've gotta snap out of it I, I, I don't think there's any solution other than snapping out of it and you've got to find a way and sometimes that can be, you know, just owning it and fixing it yourself. Sometimes it can be not being selfish and doing it for somebody else or, um, you know, whatever it may be. But he's definitely that driving force that, you know, helps me get through a lot of the pain. You know, growing a business is hard. I work very, very hard. And sometimes you want to quit. It's not easy. And, you know, sometimes you just got to go back to your why. You know, everybody needs to search for that why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I about to go and do what I'm about to go and do today? And if the purpose is there and the why is strong enough, you will walk through walls to achieve your goals. You say in your book there's a chapter entitled A Four-Year-Old's Mentality. And he's not a million miles off the four-year-old, is he, Joseph Jr.? So, you know, just give us an explanation of, of how that, that works for you. Yeah, the four-year-old's mentality. So that was all about me starting to be conscious that my household um, wasn't the norm. And that I decided very, very early on 
that I wasn't going to walk the same path as my dad and that my circumstances were going to change. I made a commitment as a very young child that I was never going to live the same way we were living and we just weren't going to struggle because I just couldn't stand it. So, um, you know, that's what that chapter's all about, really. Yeah, and then you, you mentioned in the conversation earlier that you were expelled from school. and There's that great German word, hinterland, and how your history sort of plays such a big part in who you are today. But it feels like being expelled from school was a, a real moment in your life, wasn't it? Oh, such a, such a pivotal moment. Um, I remember, again, you know, when my dad left, uh, my mum uh, moved on and she found a new partner and, um, you know, I um, kind of became very independent and like I said, I was going down the wrong path and, you know, people used to say to me that I was a bad guy and I was, um, you know, I was always getting into trouble and my mindset was, if you're going to call me, if you're going to label me this, I will show you how much of a bad guy I can be and it was the terrible mentality, the wrong mentality and I remember when I was expelled um, from school and I came out of the headmaster's office with my uh, mum and she was crying and she looked at me and she said you're a failure you know what are you going to do with your life now you're you're finished where are you going to end up I can't believe that you've done this and I remember looking back at her and I said don't you worry about me mum I'm going to be fine and it was at that moment that I realized that what the last person that loved me the main person in my life had given up on me everyone was gone everybody had given up and I just remember thinking to myself right you've got two choices now boy you're either going to screw this up okay or you're going to snap out of that mindset and you're going to become the best version you can possibly be I realized that the cavalry wasn't coming there was no one coming to save me you know the school had tried a lot I mean I went to different schools I went to these you know units of you know all the bad kids that they pushed together which is a terrible idea you know in every city they bring all the bad kids out all the secondary schools and put them all in a school together I don't know what genius came up with that idea but that's not a successful strategy I mean they're like sending um, people to prison in a lot of cases they come out worse than when they went in there but um, I realised that uh, it wasn't no one was coming to save me and I didn't want to waste my life I was a smart kid I wasn't stupid and I was acting up because I felt like a victim and I was so, felt sorry for myself and I was making all these excuses mostly based around my dad as to why you know he'd done this and you know he'd made me like this and luckily enough I managed to snap out of it and I went to work as a plumber uh, got myself into a job I went to work for free for a year uh, before the company could put me in college that was part of the deal I said train me up and I'll come for free and you know when I'm 16 start paying me and there was a young guy locally in the town he was 25 and I really looked up to him he was kind of the guy the guy that everybody that respected he had a beautiful girlfriend and he had a BMW and he was a plumber and you know I remember thinking that that's the guy that I want to be like and so um, he he was a massive influence he became like a father figure to me and he kept me on track and you know put me into a job and 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 that really really did change my life going down that career path and I got back on track and I stopped messing up and you know I was able to then focus on my career and really achieve the things that I wanted. Joseph how close do you think you came to being on the other side of the tracks you know you mentioned you ended up in some colourful company right did you at any point think I'm going to use my sharp brain you know being streetwise to maybe turn to a life of crime did that ever appeal to you at all? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it genuinely did. I was hanging. I was spending time with you know guys that were three, four, um, five um, years my senior, and you know they're doing bad things, they're doing stupid things, and I had no dad to stop me from going out. My mum couldn't control me, so I was definitely in the wrong crowds as a young teenager. And I'm just grateful that I managed to snap myself out of it. And there was something within me that um, you know managed to get me into it. But I came close of the wire many many times i used to get in trouble with the police very frequently as a young teenager and um you know luckily no nothing too serious um and you know i think i, I managed to escape and, and and focus and um you know the trade and construction and plumbing was the key to that and that's why i'll always be kind of very grateful for those opportunities that that sector gave me yeah, Joseph, there are pivotal moments in your life. Do you remember those interactions with the police? Did you have an epiphany at a moment and thought, actually, this this really isn't the life I want? I was a rule breaker. So, you know, I never really did anything too serious. So it was almost kind of little, little scuffles and scrapes with the police. But, you know, I was always looking to break the rules, be it at home, be it out in the, you know, in the town or, or be it in the school. Um so I was kind of saw that authority there and I saw the authority to be challenged. Yeah, so you talk about um, the guy, you know, the guy that had the BMW and the, the gorgeous girlfriend and you looked up to him and role models are very important, aren't they, as, as people to look up to. But you also get heavily involved now in mentoring. And yep. what, what do you think makes a good mentor bearing everything in mind that we've just talked about? I think they've got to have a desire to help. Um, and they've got to be passionate about helping people, of course, number one. It takes a lot of personal um, investment into people's success and their results. So you've got to be really passionate about it. I think that you have to have a mentor that's going to be real with you and not um, build you up and make you feel good and cut through um, the noise and tell you how it is. I'm quite straight with the people that we coach and mentor. And, um, you know, I make sure that I don't fluff it up so they know the reality. I think a great mentor has achieved both success and had great failure. Um, you know, failing is where all of the lessons are. And at the time, again, I always look back to my biggest business failure and I thought that, you know, that was a negative. Now, fast forward a few years, in actual fact, it's made me such a more well-rounded, smarter business person because I've seen upside at scale and I also seen downside at scale. So you need to be able to protect people from going down the wrong road and doing the wrong things. And you can only um, kind of guide on that if you've had the failure and, um, you know, uh, replicate your successes too. What's the best piece of advice you've been given, Joseph? Um, one thing Lord Sugar said to me, um, uh, and uh, it always stays with me, is always understand your numbers. Remember, business is not about activity. It's about the numbers that underpin the activity. And, you know, there's a saying, being a busy fool. And if your business isn't making money, then that's what you actually are. And at the time, my business was doing huge amounts of jobs. And, you know, we had lots of turnover um, when I went into business, but not huge amounts of profit. So that was really grounding. And I think, again, Alfie Best um, uh, framed up something quite nicely for me. And that was, you know, don't don't buy your own hype. Be humble. And I think as time's gone on, I'm trying to, um, you know, be more humble. And I'm trying not to, when things are going so, when things are going well and things aren't going so well, be calm. You know, success 
and um, uh, failure. They come in cycles. I'm in an upwards trajectory again right now, but I also know that any day, any time coming around the corner, I could be down into a downward cycle again. So it's just about being calm, not being too erratic, being patient, and just understanding the movement that you're currently in. Just head further north, Joseph, and you'll be brought down to earth. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you, need to do. you know, dr- drilling into the numbers for a second because I find this really interesting, and I want you to to pick up on this because you were you were talking about tradesmen and how they train for three years, right? And at the end of those three years, you're effectively an expert in your field if you're a tradesman, right? You've yep. you've served your time. But you don't get any coaching, do you, on how really to become a business boss. So I think that's where the opportunity was lying for you with your expertise. But to then put, I think, is it £15,000 for a one-year course? Yeah. How do you come to that number, right? What's the science behind it? Where do you where do you pull those figures from? Okay, cool. So, I mean, absolutely, most tradespeople start a business because they're good at the job. They're just like I did, right? I was a good technical gas engineer. I was sick of the way my boss was running his company, and I thought I could do it better. Taking out a 15 grand loan, buying a van, getting a website, getting some tools, buying a business card. And I remember sitting on my van on the Monday morning, and my phone wasn't ringing. And I said, what on earth is going on? This is what all the other tradespeople do, so this must be how to run a business. And in actual fact, I knew zero about running a business. I knew nothing about marketing. I knew nothing about sales. I knew nothing about operations, recruitment, finance, systems processes, procedures, and I was just a great tradesperson. And we teach tradespeople how to become business people by learning about all of the areas that I've just said. Let's say you're a plumber and you're doing £200,000 a year. You're doing general maintenance, reactive, sometimes you're doing a repair, sometimes you're doing a service, sometimes you're doing an installation, but you've got work from word and mouth that's inconsistent, unquantifiable, unforecastable, and you're not too sure what what job could come in at any day. Well, we help businesses ground their operating model so they work in a sector that allows them um, to predict where their leads are coming from, to understand their conversion rate to be able to forecast their sales. And then once you've got that systemizable, scalable, sellable business model, you can start to grow it. So we're helping electricians at the moment expand into the solar sector. Our biggest success story in 18 months has gone from 190,000 in turnover and he's currently doing 400,000 pounds a month now in solar installs and he paid us 15 grand in Joseph, let's get back on the tools. Let's get back into some solar panels, you know? That's, that's really Solar's an amazing sector. It's blowing up right now. Well, that's, that's a good point you raised there, actually, because, you know, again, I spend a lot of time on the radio interviewing people in business and talk about the economy. I interview a lot of politicians and you can quite often get sucked into a fairly dark mood when you think about the economy and where we've been for the last few years with the cost of living crisis. But yeah. it sounds like you can paint another picture here, Joseph, which is quite important too, that you know, with a bit of mentorship and a little bit of advice and expertise... There is a successful business out there for you if you put your put your mind to it. I've um, always been a big believer that regardless of what's going on in the marketplace, true entrepreneurs find a way to navigate and they see opportunity in everything. And, you know, the market out there right now is one of the best it's ever been. I mean, we live in a time in abundant opportunity. Um, I don't believe...
believe that we live in a time of struggle. I believe we live in a time of incredible opportunity. Yeah. But you've got to skill up. For the last 10 years, I've been addicted to training. I mean, I spend thousands of hours and huge sums of money, and it's really helped me grow. But without that investment in me, without that investment in myself, I would never be where I am today. It's great to have that capital to, to invest as well, but presumably that's a valuable investment in the bigger picture to become the billionaire. It's a compounding, isn't it? I didn't again. I didn't start there. I started yeah. with a book or a YouTube video, and you know, I taught myself how to build a sales organization in 2016 from watching Grant Cardone's videos in America. And I didn't pay him any money for it, but I just put it into action. But personal development really, really is the key to success. Joseph, when I hear you talking like that, do you ever feel politically motivated? Do you ever feel like there's a role for you to play in stimulating the economy with more hard politics and getting involved in that side of things? I, I think when I made a, a huge amount of money, I would maybe look look to do it. But I think knowing where you add value and staying in business is probably my sector. Politics is a rough game. It's a tough game. It's a cutthroat. And, you know, these guys are sharks, even if they don't look at them like it from their exterior. So um, I don't know whether I'd want to get into that world. You know, maybe be a businessman that influences, you know, what goes on in the UK um, because of my you know status and, and my and my money that I can invest and support these parties but I, I don't think I'd want to be you know running for prime minister or anything <laughs> like that well Joseph just you know again looking through uh, some of your, your back catalogue and things you've done and conversations you've had there is a, a, a pertinent moment where I think Lord Sugar gave you a row about posting too much on social media right and being at the heart of it and using it to to use it for your benefit for your businesses for everything you're doing I think you found a way of navigating it, but how important is it to embrace that properly for a business that's aspiring to do well now? Social media is the shop window into every organisation and people don't really go to websites that much now. They go to the Instagram or the Facebook to check yeah, check out your business and if you if you and what a lot of business owners do is they set up a social media page and then they don't post on it and so in actual fact that's a hindrance to your organisation because customers go on they look and they go oh this company here hasn't posted for six months so they still in business so my advice is you've got to lean into social media and you've got to understand it and that's why it's really important to do the training you know and to learn because yeah. that's what um, will help you kind of get comfortable with investing. Joseph, your Instagram's wild, right? I'm having a look through it at the moment. <laughs> Champagne, back of yachts, fancy cars, good suits, all this carry on. Um, some, some affirmations and platitudes and quotes. Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. I mean, is it, is it not a lot of hard work just keeping that going? Because it looks like a kind of Dan Bilzerian or... You know, <laughs> it's, it's quite a picture you paint here, young man. Yeah, I mean... Putting out content is hard. I mean, it costs a lot of money. We've got, I've got three videographers that we have employed and, you know, you've got to spend the time to do it, but you've got to enjoy it. You know, you've got to have fun. And those um, yacht shots, I mean, I, lo I love yachts. I love nice cars. I love going to great locations. And we run a business called Millionaire Mastermind as well. And um, I host it in London at the top of the Gherkin. And I've got Karen Brady speaking this year. I've got James Kahn from Dragon's Den. I've got Ant Middleton. And um, that's all about teaching business owners how to create wealth. That's separate to the trade mastermind. And it's um, personal development's got to be aspirational. 
And, you know, you've got to want to chase something. There's no point in investing in a business course or, you know, a wealth creation course if you don't actually see what's on offer um, when you get there. So I think there's an element to the sales. You know, that content is sales and marketing, isn't it, for, you know, what they get if they succeed with the personal development that, you know, we have on offer. So we have to make that content because it's got to be aspirational for people to want to chase that stuff. Because for the people that that stuff, and I know it's not for everybody, but for some people, that's what they want. Yeah, you've got Nigel Farage on there as well. Did you get more or less likes or fewer <laughs> likes as a result of Nigel's appearance on your social media? I mean, Nigel uh, Nigel is, I think, is an incredible guy. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with any of his political views. I don't really get involved in politics, but he's very smart and he understands the political landscape. He's very um, tuned into business and he's a disruptor. And, you know, on the Millionaire Mastermind, I'm trying to diversify the speakers so they've all achieved um, great success in their own right. And I think there's a lot of people out there that don't like Nigel and there's a lot that do. And, um, you know, whether people do or don't like him, you know, I still um, think that he has a huge amount of value to offer. There we go. Well, Joseph Valenti, you'll be debanked now as a result of sharing the views. <laughs> but um, I really appreciate your time coming on, and it's, it's always good to hear your story, particularly from that moment of success on The Apprentice, then a wobble, but back on your feet, an ex-plumber expelled from school and back on top again. Joseph Valenti, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you very much, and thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you so much for listening tonight. I'm Gordon Smart. I will be back tomorrow night from half past ten. Uh, Dotton is up next with the World Football Phone-In.